Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Voices of Western. This is the Humans of Western podcast and today I'm excited to be introducing our guest Nathan O. He is an alumni of Western University. He studied a kinesiology degree and uh, later came back to pursue an executive MBA at Ivy. Um, he's passionate about so many things, lots of things I won't get the chance to discuss, but to give you the ideals, he is currently a VP of business development at Ezra Coaching and uh, has a lot of experience when it comes to health and wellness, business development, sales, and his previous roles and careers. Um, he was also fortunate to be able to travel and live in Hong Kong, which is very far from where Western is located. And I'm sure it's something we'll deep dive into. Um, so Nathan, I will pass it on to you to give a pro probably a better introduction of yourself. No, man, that was great, Hussein. Thank you. Thank you a lot um, for having me. And, you know, I was like smiling as you were reading because it's always nice when you hear someone else introduce you um, and you did an amazing job. So I guess to try not to uh, cover all that you covered, um, I'm actually, I was born and raised in Toronto. Um, I grew up uh, in downtown in the Riverdale neighborhood. And I decided to go to Western. Um, actually, sorry, before that, um, I have a twin. So I'm a twin uh, twin brother. Uh, I'm the youngest of the two. We're fraternal twins. Um, but uh, we both decided to go to um, Western. And that was because it was the, a funny thing with Toronto. Two hours is close enough so that you can make visits but far enough that they don't happen all the time. So your parents don't come, uh, you know, sort of, you know, following up and, and all that you do. So, but I, I went for that reason as one for two kinesiology, I was really good at sports and um, didn't know what else to do. So uh, Western had a phenomenal program kinesiology back then still does. And I did that. And then I melded that with a bit of business. So I learned more about my passion for business at Western. Um, now I'm in Hong Kong. I'm actually in Hong Kong. Um, caught me at, a, at an interesting time coming back for a friend's wedding. Um, but we'll be back in Toronto and, and that's where I'm based. So I'm happy to be here. Amazing. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, I remember reaching out to you and I said, okay, let's do it very soon. You said, I'm going to Hong Kong. And I said, even better. Uh, glad we made it work. So why don't you tell us about your journey to Hong Kong? I know it started, you know, well before these years. How did you end up there? Yeah, it was, um, so I graduated in 08. So I was at Western for 2004 until 2008. And, um, I don't know. I mean, the biggest thing was, so from a heritage standpoint, my parents are from Hong Kong. I'd never gone only once as a kid. And I was, I think a lot of immigrant families uh, in Canada, you as like the second next generation, you lose touch of course with your with your, your culture. In my case it was Chinese, um, a lot of us do. And for me, you know, language, you know, values, um, just the way that I lived my life was very Canadian. And I knew there's a whole other side of my family or culture um, that I didn't even know. 
And so after, after Western, I knew I wanted to travel. I think a lot of us have that feeling back, you know, you know, after graduation, because you're grounded in, in London, Ontario, right? Um, some of us are lucky to be able to go overseas during summertime, but um, I didn't. I was just going back to Toronto. And so anyway, I wanted to travel after Western, and which I did. And I decided Hong Kong because, uh, to my previous point, I wanted to reconnect and discover my roots. And um, my mom helped suggest that. And um, I decided to go. And I knew five people in Hong Kong. Couldn't even say that they're close friends either. Um, I had a job lined up in the sense that I interviewed before I went through my mom's friend. She, an auntie, introduced me to a, a guy who worked at a big coffee company here. I had no idea what, co- I mean, coffee to me at the time was Tim Hortons um, down at UC, at UCC. So that was all I knew of coffee. Um, didn't have experience working, obviously. I didn't work in the summertime either. I was a, a waiter and a summer camp counselor through the summer times at Western. I did not have any formal internships or anything like that. No, like summer corporate internships. Zero, nothing. So a, a lot of people in Ivy and, and, and whatnot, students, you had that great experience. I had none. And I, I mean, I was, you know, wait, waiting tables <laughs> and taking care of kids at summer camp. That was my summer job for three summers so the fourth summer the last one of course i did the same thing but then with the idea of going to hong kong so anyway um i ended up going um packing my bags it was a uh a single flight no return yet and that was just a big bold move that i made partly because i want to discover my roots but secondly i wanted to being a twin do something different I think family values and the way you are structured really defines your choices in life sometimes. And so in my case, I was a twin. Everyone thought my brother would go, would do something like that. Yeah, Julian, he's more kind of out there. Nathan is a little bit more conservative, being close to family, social circles really important to him. No one would have guessed that I would be the one to just peace peace out and go out to Hong Kong and I did and crazy decision but a, an amazing decision in my life wow even hearing about it is uh so much fun you know uh moving to a different place knowing less than a handful number of people that's amazing but I think what you had in mind was working a job that was already decided is that fair to say like you already had a job um, yeah. offer accepted? Yeah, exactly. The offer on the phone was, if you come to Hong Kong, and obviously, presuming you stay, you'll get the job. So that, of course, that my boss at the time was about commitment. And once you get on a plane and you commit to it and you're on your way, you like he's like, yep, this guy's going to be committed. He, he's not going to fly to Hong Kong just to... You know, well, it could have actually just to just go for a month and then come back. But I think I, I made it clear to him that this is a one way ticket that I bought. And I think that really set him straight in that sense. And then I went over to came to Hong Kong and um, yeah, I didn't even know the language. Man. Like it was, 
crazy. Like I, so I, I can understand it. I learned, yeah. I just like with anyone who travels, right. It's like, you have to learn on the spot. So um, I couldn't read. I couldn't write. I could recognize some characters, Chinese characters. I could understand it when someone speaks it to me because my parents would speak it and my relatives, but I was never, I've never built up the courage to speak it out loud. Um, it's just like if, you know, in Canada, we all learn French, right? Yeah. Um, you, it, unless you're native or your family speaks it, you, you will start to say a little bit of French and then you quickly get to a point where like, oh crap, I forgot this word. Like I forgot that word. And you stumble and you revert back to English. The same thing with Chinese. It'd be like, I'll say a few things and then I stumble and then revert back to English or just because quiet. So I learned because going out to restaurants, uh, meeting people. My boss then at the time told me, dude, if you only speak English, you're going to get 60% of the business that I, that you probably could have. Wow. Or less. And I was like, Hmm. Yeah. And I was doing the sales. So of course that's going to really change my mindset. I need to learn Chinese and learn it quick. And my colleagues are great because they all speak Chinese, Cantonese. And, uh, it was always a language exchange. They wanted to learn English so they could teach me Chinese. So it was a good combination. So I learned pretty quickly. And um, and yeah, it's just a product of environment. And so at the time, the role that you were working in, was it a local kind of sales job that you would sell to Chinese businesses or did it have any international components? Because I'm thinking if it had international components, then it would have been really helpful. Yeah, that's a great question. And for sure, yeah, it was a, a mix. I mean, that's why he said there was a certain percentage of business you could get, which is the English-speaking international community here. Yeah, But you'd be missing out on a lot of local ones too. And so that was my job. It was selling coffee machines and coffee beans to corporate companies. Uh, it was a fantastic job. It was hard, but it was like I had to quickly learn Chinese and I had to quickly learn everything about coffee. So I became the Canadian coffee guy in Hong Kong. <laughs> did uh, did that involve going like door to door sales as well, or just like? Yeah. It well, was nowadays calls. it's like LinkedIn sales. So I don't know how how it was like. Yeah, that. back then, back then was um was door to door. Like I would go and we would get numbers, uh, you know, conferences and events and all kind of stuff. But one strategy that we used was when I went into a building, I would look because there's a directory, right? Posted on which companies were on which floors. So I would take a snapshot of that and knowing it was like a corporate office, if I just helped to service a client of mine in this building, the chances of other companies needing a coffee machine or me knowing the, the footprint of their office pantry and, and coffee setup and water setup, then the higher chance of them, of me making a sale to all the other companies in that building. So if you want to say door to door, it was really, really it was because I take a photo of the directory, I'd see all the companies, which floor they're on, go off back to my you know office and then online, go to websites and then try to find a contact person, call them, cold call them and say, hey, I was just in your building. Yesterday, uh, I helped this company. Uh, would love to be able to see if I can do the same for you. And there you go. 
door-to-door sales absolutely coffee. yeah i mean there's this component of trust involved too i've seen a lot of videos where people say for example realtor if they sold a house in the area they would just go to their neighbors and say hey by the way we just sold your neighbor's house if you want anything like reach out here's my business card mm-hmm. i'm sure there's a lot of trust uh involved in that process too just by seeing people who are close to you or similar to you um i guess from a business perspective are using this service so maybe we could also utilize it yeah we're all human beings that rely on sort of trust and reputation and if you know someone who's similar to you or has something in common with you uh, engage in something it's going to obviously help yourself make that decision right um and so yeah that that point is totally valid for sure sense and so other than doing a great job at selling coffee and coffee machines all these years what else have you been up to yeah i mean i i so that was like in my early career um that was like yeah a while ago uh did coffee for six years after that, I decided I didn't want to be known as the Canadian coffee guy anymore. I mean, that was a great achievement or title to have. But, you know, when you're in Hong Kong, it's like the finance capital of Asia. Um, at the time, it it was something that I wanted more. I wanted, I always kept talking, you know, selling coffee and providing this service to, to people in the finance industry, to bankers, um, etc. I wanted to be in that scene you know, not servicing them, you know, just wanting to be there. And I decided in order to get me there, I, I thought, you know what, I need to pursue more credential sort of like continuous education. So I decided to apply and get into the IV EMBA program. So the executive MBA program. Um, luckily, um, IV has a campus in Western, for those of you who don't know. Um, and I applied and I, I was I got in and it was great. And so that helped me to really shift and pivot my career. Um, suddenly I was you know thrust into doing business and understanding more. And so I had more opportunities after that. Um, my network definitely advanced as well. But I think the value of me doing the MBA was um, because I had six years of experience. So I really knew, and especially at the EMBA level, I was still very young for an executive MBA. I was, I think, 27. So I was normal, 27 or, or your sort of like later 20s is great for your normal MBA. But as an executive MBA, it was quite young. So I fortunately was able to get in just due to the nature of circumstances at Ivy then. Um, but anyway, the years of experience I had, I asked them, I said, why did you guys accept me? Because I'm like 10 years younger than your normal applicant. And they said, we really appreciate your six years of business with Pacific Coffee, which is, you know, everyone in Hong Kong knows Pacific Coffee, everyone. Um, it, it's synonymous for, uh, it's like with the, the competitor to Starbucks, to put it into context. Oh, wow. So it's like that big. It's huge, right? And so um, everyone knew Pacific Coffee. So I, I think a lot of people at, at the enrollment um, people at Ivy said, we would love to have a local, a person who knows a local brand 
but it's got an international flavor to it, right? Because Pacific, like it's like a Starbucks. So that was very fascinating for them to be able to, and you've committed six years there. So you've got a lot of experience in one company. And I think that loyalty and that experience, I mean, for for me at the time, even my parents were like at the three-year mark, like, dude, are you going to move to another job, man? Like you've been there for three years already. And I did another three years. So I think that loyalty, even though I think from a salary standpoint, right, everyone knows if you if you hop, you're going to increase your salary perhaps faster. Things are changing now, I guess. But, um, you know, a lot of us will be able to hop jobs to get a better offer, hop another job to get a better offer in a quicker amount of time. But for me, it wasn't the case. And I just committed six years to doing that. Um, and I, I got in, pivoted got my MBA, went into financial services in the finance industry, did private equity investment, learned a boatload there, then did startup, um, understand what that was, consulting with all of my background in sales, business development, marketing, consulting businesses. And that was during COVID. And um, yeah, it was crazy. And then now, fast forward to today, a year ago, I came back to Canada and now I'm working at Ezra, as I've seen, as you mentioned earlier. And Ezra is a coaching company, and um, it's just been phenomenal. So I help change lives through introducing co- coaching, professional coaching to people and organizations. So similar to the service I did for corporations here in Hong Kong, now I'm doing it in Canada, offering, uh, doing business development and, and introducing the power of coaching. So from coffee to now coaching. <laughs> C to C, coffee to coaching. C to C, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I personally have been um privileged to have a few people to like bounce ideas off of. Uh we don't like call each other mentor and mentee, but I do really consider them as coaches in my life. Um and like given that you mentioned this, what's your perspective on people who are coachable? Like I personally believe that not everyone is coachable. Not everyone is ready to be coached. Not everyone takes the action that has to be taken. Um, and so what, what's your perspective on that? Before I share my perspective, I want to know, like, what are a few things that, that you think, man? Like, wh- what do you think are, like, maybe two qualities uh, to be coachable? Uh, I think one of them would be accountability, being accountable to the conversation that is going to be had and then actually doing it. And then the other thing would be positivity, like looking at it from an optimistic optimistic perspective, I think um, is going to be really helpful. Again, like I'm not going to share about growth mindset because at this point it's just cliche, but honestly, it's just from my experience, people who I have seen who are optimistic about the future want to learn or ready to take on the challenges turn mm-hmm. out to be the people who succeed most of the time maybe not always mm-hmm. but most of the time yeah i mean i think those are great points because i think accountability is is so important um, in anything you do right i would say and positivity for me it's uh, is, uh, is a number one thing um in in the way that i lead my life right it's it's hard but it's important to to have that mindset the positive mindset that glass half full 
I would say from a coachability, just, and my answer might change day to day, but I'd say just off the top of my head, thinking about people who are, I think coachability is, is so important in the workplace. And I think someone who shows the, the commitment to themselves, meaning I have a goal and I want to improve and I'm holding myself accountable. So using your, your, your thought um, to the commitment to see change. So that's ability to, you know, have, I want to do this for me and not for other reasons, not for someone else. So I think if, a, in order to have the best outcomes in having a coach, you, you want to improve, right? You have to be bought in yourself for change because a coaching experience will change you. So it's going to give you different perspective. It's going to shift. So the second part is open-mindedness. So the commitment and also open-minded knowing that I'm going to benefit and change, or I'm going to be uncomfortable talking about a few things, right? Spotting out my strengths, but also really highlighting areas of improvement. Right. And I think um, that's what a coach will do is just to coax that out and your openness and open-mindedness to that is really important. Um, I think as we, uh, even if you, if it's not a coach, formal coaching, if it's a mentorship or someone at work, your manager or someone, or, you know, who wouldn't want to work with someone who's open-minded and commitment committed to developing themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like if I were to see that, if I was to someone and I had my direct reports, it's like if they're wanting to improve and they're open-minded to getting feedback, right? Um, then that's great. So to me, I would love to work with someone like that. So I'd say that that's what I would, the two things I would think of. And what's, what, where do you see the balance between too much coaching versus too little? Like I personally know whenever I want to make a big decision, mm -hmm. um, I consult so many people, mm -hmm. <laughs> like up to a point that it gets overwhelming. And for example, one of the recent comments that I've received was, uh, hey, like, I think you know what's best for you. So trust yourself with making the decision. Um, and yeah, just getting your feedback on that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because I'm, it's a funny thing when I always um, think about uh, when I mentioned being a twin, I always tell the story of the difference between my brother and I. I mean, it's not the fabric of our identity, but I would say that um, oftentimes my brother would be the one who goes to a store and just at the at the time when he was a kid, he would pick a toy right away, go straight line, beeline straight for the toy he wanted. Me, on the other hand, would be like, no, not this one, maybe that one. I take something, show my parents, hey, should I get this? And like, no, no, it's up to you. Oh, I don't know. And then put it back and then go. So very indecisive. I would say in regards to that, I think it's, you can, it's okay to ask a lot of people for advice and that helps to shape your, your decision. Right. But I think to me having a limit and it depends on what the question is, right. It depends on what you're trying to solve for. If it's something that doesn't have a lot of like where diversity of opinion is good, then yeah, ask as many people as you need to accumulate the data internally in your head to come up with the best outcome. 
But if it's something that you already kind of know and it's, or timeliness, like you don't have time to ask all these people, then yeah, of course, then you're going to limit the amount of people. I mean, of course, to me, the rule of three is just think of three different people for a suggestion, but three different people who may know me in a different light in the sense, like, cause you can ask three of your, your buddies or whatever, but they might all be similar and give you a very similar answer. But if you ask someone totally different, depending on what the, what the ask is, right. Um, then you're going to get that. And, um, I love the diversity aspect of asking these things, but I would say, um, have a set of limit before you go out there because you can just get swayed into so many different, you know, thoughts and opinions. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what happened to me the previous time, <laughs> but I, I was able to figure it out. So we're all good. good now. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I guess you have touched a bit about your story being a twin. Um, do you have any, you know, failure stories or learning lessons, as you would refer to them, that you would be comfortable sharing? Yeah, I would say, um, man, uh. It's funny when we think of entrepreneurship and failure, right? A lot of people think, oh, failure is a badge of honor and, and all that stuff. And yeah, a lot in a lot of respects, it is because you learn a lot, right? Do you have to fail in order to learn? Uh, it helps because you hit rock bottom and, and, and whatnot. It hurts. That's when it's going to really make a lasting impression. Um, the experience that I had that I like to share with um, people is... Uh, I didn't, I, in the beginning, you're saying I went to Western for kinesiology and I only did IV afterwards. But the thing is, I was trying at the time to be in IV during my undergrad to get an HBA um, and it failed. <laughs> I didn't, I did not uh, get in. Um, in third year was when you're supposed to start your HBA. Um, this, so in second year, you know, we took this 257 the course, which is not this two two five seven, um, and I failed it in my first attempt. It was terrible. Like a, ugh, it sucked because you know you see all your friends who were in the class with you, you know all most of which got their mark and you know we're going to go to Ivy or they decided to do not to go Ivy or whatever. It was a huge thing, of course, back then for me. Um, and to not be able to pass um, really took a took a hit on my own self-confidence but I decided to um, take it over the summertime so I kind of knew why I failed and that was because I was so involved I had full course load of course very involved in clubs um, and then of course like going out socializing with friends and all that stuff so it just was really tough to commit that much time. And, and I think for all students, right, it's so hard to balance. And so we pushed ourselves to the grind to make sure we get all our courses in and all that stuff. I think made things are a bit changing now, but what it realized quickly was failed, took it in the summertime, loved it, had nothing to do but part-time summer job, which was being a referee in the summer uh, intramurals. Like coach, um, uh, soccer, soccer. Referee. Yeah, referee. Yeah, soccer referee, which is amazing. And and it's funny that we're saying this is because 
where we used to, where I used to be a referee is now where the new Ivy building is. <laughs> so it's really like, anyway, weird to sort of see that. Like I used to referee on the field where Ivy building is now. And, um, and I was taking biz two, five, seven in the summertime. I managed to to pass, do well, but I after there was a realized I don't want to go to Ivy. So I I ended up um just finishing my kin degree. I double had a, a major in um uh kin um and a minor in psychology. And I took several psychology courses, um, business courses as well. Um, but yeah, I never ended up undergrad Ivy, uh, I, I went, you know, six years later. So I think from that experience, it was, uh, awesome. Like to have failed the first time it sucked to, took a hit on my ego. Um, but I came up with a much better outcome. What about you? Uh, well, I would love to hear your, what your experience is like with failure, man. Uh, <laughs> uh I mean, <laughs> I've had my fair share of failures too, I guess. For me, it would have been my first year when I um, came to Canada or immigrated to Canada in 2018, September. It was really difficult to make friends. So like the whole transition was taking a toll on me. I was not able to make lots of friends in residence. Um, So that's like looking back, that's always what I consider to be my biggest failure. Um, I ended up with like a few handful of quality friendships and lived with two of those next year in an off-campus, you know, unit as uh, suite mates. But the thing that always kept bugging me was like, I wasn't able to make lots of friends in first year. So that kind of inspired me to go back to residence as a residence dawn. Mm -hmm. And then I was like nurturing those um, relationships between other first-year students and even myself learning how to create friendships with others um, and now it's just something that I do naturally I'm still an introvert but I feel a lot more comfortable going out there and making friendships and helping people out as a dawn was it easy to so because it's like kind of like your your job residence dawn right to check up on people and and just connect with them and stuff was that was it easy in regards to like making you a bit more forcing you to be more extroverted it it definitely helped the dynamics still weren't the greatest because when i accepted my dawn offer it was when covid happened so i was working the first year of covid september 2022 not first year but like the year where it was fully on um, there were so many restrictions. My role went from community building more so to health and safety management oh. in residence. Mm. Some wow. people were not super receptive to the idea, but I had a great supervisor. She was always sharing ideas about what worked in her experience about community building. So one of the things I used the year after when I returned as a returner was ordering uh pieces of chocolates like you know kit kat snickers those kind of chocolates and going on door knocks when knocking on doors and then when the students open just giving them one with no expectations no nothing and just checking in worked wonders two years i did it twice well more than twice for a few times and i would say it's always something that they were happy about because 
it gave me the opportunity to just check in without formally checking in, if you know what I mean. I love that, man. That's such an interesting way to sweeten them up a little bit, <laughs> figuratively speaking, um, but also not. That's that's an awesome thing, man. I think that uh, it's it's part and parcel of what made your experience successful, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, well, I definitely love it. a game changer, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. I loved my Western experience so many more times because of this. Um, academic wise, I didn't have much fun, but extracurricular wise or like job wise, it was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I think that the to when you're motivated by certain things, kind of really keeps you going. Whether it's your job or your passion or volunteer work or something like that, right? It's so important to have that. Um, and really pinpoint something that you can find really interesting to yourself, right? And commit to it. It's so important in life. Like I said, I find that in in mind, like a lot of people that I talk to, they may not love their job. It's like a, it's a means to get the money, staple, whatever. They may have their other passions, but I think as long as you have those passions and you work on them, um, it's what keeps us driving forward. Right. And in your job, you know, I didn't love every job that I did, or maybe not even job, but just tasks, of course. Some like menial tasks, you're like, why am I doing this day to day in, day out? Like, what am I doing with my life? But it's important to have the other aspects that we really can hone in on. And I think I remember in undergrad, it was um for me with the clubs, right? And yeah. and and passion. And you said earlier, like coffee and um sports um a huge passion of mine uh and yeah and i think it's really important to have that i think all people who are successful will have that absolutely right? yeah i don't know you're just gonna you... be passionate about like i guess one thing or a few things but like here's also the thing though i sometimes get confused because i i love so many things so now i have to commit to one or two and actually finish them as opposed to switching between tasks Am I hearing I, a bit of a trend here? <laughs> like so earlier before you had too many people that you're talking to. So same thing here, right? Too many interests. Yeah. What Maybe. I mean, do you think that that's an issue? I no, I don't think so. At least it hasn't been an issue so far. Okay. And you prompted it a couple times. Is this something that you're aware of that you're like, man, maybe I need to reconsider how much I take on my plate or number of people I ask to make a decision you know maybe but I the trend I've noticed is that as soon as I get busy I kind of like put my heads down and get to work so it depends on the workload if I have too much then I don't have like too much time to ask for those opinions or get as many interactions but if I don't have much going on then yeah absolutely and honestly I would argue that that has been one of my success stories with the, the opportunities that I've received. It's just basically because I've been involved. Um, I've been focusing on building my network or nurturing those genuine relationships with people. And they, they pay off sometimes, sometimes not. But optimistically, you're creating a relationship so that you're happy and you can help someone else be happier. Yeah, I think, and to me, having involvement with a lot of things 
is great because you're building that, as you said, the connections to others. And I think an area where you can talk and relate on multiple levels because of the experiences of involvements that you're in, in terms of passions or um, extracurricular things, it makes you more of a, it makes your human experience more rich. Let's just say that. And who wouldn't want to talk to someone who kind of has rich experiences, right? Because they can relate to more people. And I think that's where, for me, part and parcel of why I'm enjoying, but I'm also really good at what I do is because I've been able to have so many cool experiences. And I'm not to say that I don't, but I'm just thinking that like, how many people have moved from Canada to Hong Kong like and, and worked and successfully lived their life for 13 years abroad? And, you know, met the love of my life, my wife, um, was able to carry out different jobs, had many hobbies, learned language, learned everything. But then coming back, it's like, oh man, this guy's life is like interesting. He's had so many different areas, but that's where I'm able to relate to people, so many different people, right? And I think having that diverse experience is really important to not only have it interesting for yourself, but for other people too, because you can share, you can relate, you can talk about all these different things. And at the end of the day, as you were saying, connection relationship with others, it's just, it's just, um, it makes life that much more worth living in my opinion. Absolutely. And is that something you have noticed that when you like came back, people start asking you questions about, you know, your journey back in Hong Kong or how it was or, where you perceived to be, I don't know, a very adventurous person. Yeah, interesting. Because like when I came back, um, and I was looking for jobs, I obviously didn't get Ezra like the way that I had Pacific Coffee kind of like lined up before I came back. I was hoping that on my way back to Canada it'd be easy. So it was like really hard for me to get a job. Um, but whenever I mentioned, so now when I talk to people. I don't lead with, oh, I was in Hong Kong for 13 years. But when it comes up and like the clients I talk to or whatever, if it comes up, you see a change in that sense. It's like, holy crap, that's so cool. Because I would say like, oh, I'm not familiar with this part of Toronto or this place in Canada or whatever, because I haven't been here for this that long. And they're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, I was living in Hong Kong for 13 years. And I'm like, What? You were there for 13 years. So so I think it it you know it's the from what I see to answer your question, yes, there's a difference when people know that I've had abroad experience experiences abroad. So I think for anyone, you know, in Western now, accumulate those experiences. Like that's an, an advice that I really, really suggest. It's like if you're thinking, <clears throat> I've had many students ask me before, man, I'm thinking of like um doing this or do i stay here and get a job in toronto which i know i'll get or do i like travel and go someplace you know the answer is clear for me because what i did was i went elsewhere and so but i also am very cognizant that that was me and for my own reasons which i explained earlier right for other people it's hard to see it through their lenses but for the just the sake of experience I would say travel first and then you can get a job. That to me is important. A lot of other people might have a opinion. They might say, 
I have this job, I can be stable, start earning money and then travel, right? Um, but again, it's all very contextual. I don't know how it's going to be for me because I'm considering traveling, but at least it's something I'm thinking about now. We live in a world where the word comparison is really strong. I think even before, obviously, social media, IG, TikTok, and stuff like that, too. But I would say it's important as a student or as a young alumni to stave off comparison. It's very easy to the want best. to compare. It's very easy to compare. It's very easy to want to compare. But you, you're very different than a lot of other people. And I think knowing your own merits and being happy with them yourself or striving for more is really important because if you compare, you're never going to be happy. Absolutely. Right? Because you're always looking at something. What did he do? What did she do? Like, what do they do that I haven't done? Oh, I need to do that. But why? It's because you intrinsically want it yourself or it's because they've done it. And you think society judges you against them, whoever that is, makes a comparison and you're not good enough or whatever. I think comparison is, is such a fascinating thing. And one of the things that I learned a lot actually from leaving Hong Kong and coming to Canada back the second time this time was I don't compare anymore. In Hong Kong, the society, of course, was I'm Chinese, everyone was Chinese, but felt like, oh my gosh, I have like these are my brethren here, you know, my motherland here. I have to do something with my life because I'm looking at all these great successful people and all that stuff. But I realized in Hong Kong, it's a very com competitive nature, right? It's a very, um, uh, you have to, what is it, um, stay with the Joneses kind of a thing. You have to keep up with the Joneses. You have to keep up with everyone. It's very unhealthy to me, culture, in my opinion, for, for myself. I think it drove a lot of me and my ambition to do more and and you know, eat at these really cool places, buy these really nice things, earn this much money, you know, have these titles, go to these events, all that kind of stuff because other people were doing it. But did all those things make me happy? Not all of them, for sure not. Whereas coming back to Canada, I realized maybe my maturity, maybe Canada itself, but you just don't compare it because everyone's so different. It's so hard to compare. And to me, it's in, in order for you to be really happy, um, the the faster you stop comparing, the the faster you'll be happier, in my opinion. I I mean, yeah, I a hundred percent. It's just mastering the the technique of not comparing. That's what's difficult. That's it's knowing like yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah, it, it's really hard, but I think it's there are ways to do that. There are ways to know yourself more deeply, and that's um, you know with reading, with talking to your loved ones about yourself in that sense and asking people for feedback. But oftentimes we don't ask, we just assume, right? It's like, I'm gonna be asking you after this, Hussein, like, what did you think, right? And But if I, if I didn't think to do that, then I would come a walk away and think, great job or whatever or not or something. Yeah. But knowing more of myself would be in in the best would be just to ask you, hey, how did I do? What did you think? Not how did I do compared to others, but what did you truly think of me? 
for me to better understand myself through your eyes as well, right? Absolutely. And it's also important to mention that um, asking the right people for feedback is also important too, because I know I just watched so many videos and I've learned that uh, you just have to get accept feedback from the people who you want to trade places with or the other way if you don't want to be in this person's position then don't ask them for feedback um or you could always ask people for feedback and just don't listen to it right that's also a good thing to do um but i i think it's difficult to get a harsh feedback and then not want to listen to it if it's harsh uh, and coming from the wrong person <laughs> it's like another thing that's funny is like have you watched your own videos of yourself uh yeah but it's not like i do i don't like (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's like another way of also understanding yourself too right it's not it's like you're observing right and when you see it afterwards replayed back to you you're like oh my god it's so terrible or i why did i say all these things but that's another really good example of getting to know yourself right So one thing that we are also introducing with this episode is diving into, you know, hot takes. So we pick a topic that's been trending, controversial, and ask our guests opinions about. Um, Nathan, this week, I'm going to ask you about Elon Musk and Twitter. He has been, you know, really trending. Uh, I'm not sure if you've been following the news or not, but after the takeover, he's been sorry firing a bunch of people left and right so many people are resigning there's a paid membership that's supposed to be coming up i'm not sure how things are there what's your take on that yeah i love this segment as we will uh as you will because it sort of time stamps this podcast episode right if you look back at this like a year later you're like oh man we talked about twitter and elon musk you're going to be like, oh man, that was weird. Because you're going to know the outcome afterwards, of course, a year later. But I love the segment and asking these topics, which is which is awesome. And I would say my hot take on this is I, like any change is hard for a company. Um, I think it's probably there's a lot, of course, that the media doesn't portray. So just being empathetic, I, I feel for him, for Elon, just because I know this is a big undertaking and it's easy to make him the antagonist in this story. It's very easy. The way it's painted. And then the employees he let go, uh, you know, are the ones who are victims, right? And so I think I would step back and say, it's probably really tough for him. Like he, you know, he probably, if he could want to keep these people, he probably would. Like to think so. But of course, the reality is maybe not because he's got to really change things up, right? Because that's what changes. So I'd say my hot take is that it's, I feel bad for the situation, but I think in feeling bad, that doesn't help. It's more of, yeah, he laid off these people, whoever's coming in, whoever's remaining, how do they do well and succeed? Because I think Twitter's an awesome platform. And a lot of people really appreciate it. And I think that it has a place in society, in, in, in our lives. And I hope that it continues to sort of have another level of improvement. So that's my take on it. 
I've I've been hearing a lot of different opinions on the whole paid membership. So many memes created about how to turn you know forty five billion dollars to zero dollars. I guess that's how much you paid to acquire it. Um, it's it's tough. I think he will have the chance to make Twitter a success. But what I can speak about the facts right now, the facts, at least from an outside perspective, is that the organizational morale is low. People are hurt. So many were let go without notice. I don't think they're going to be able to make an impact soon. I mean, I could be proven wrong and I'm fine with that. I just think um, too many changes have been happening too fast. And if it takes a step back, and um, reorganizes his thought it, it could become a big thing that's what I think. as a as a as a plug not that as we're sponsoring this but i would say these are the situations where coaching whether it's ezra or not coaching really helps right it's the people who who were not let go it's the the leaders at twitter man, what are we going to do next? How do I manage this next step? That's what coaching does. It gives perspective, a sounding board. It gives comfort, motivation to the people who really, really need it. And that's exactly how we talk to companies or I talk to companies and leaders and say, hey, are you undergoing massive change? If they're Twitter, then it's like, yes. Where do you need the help the most? A lot of times, let's start from the top, but the whole notion of, you're missing out on a huge group of people who really need support. That middle manager level or something like that. That is huge. And that's what Ezra does. And that's why I believe in, in what I'm doing because it's providing that support to people when they really need it most. Um, exactly. But yeah. You know, part, part of coaching is also, you know, being uh, close to university, trying to help college graduates or university members in whatever capacity i've seen that you have done a great job uh with that because i've met you in person like two months ago so my question to you is how do you stay part of western without necessarily being a student in western oh man it's like to me i first got involved with western alumni association when i was in hong kong because i just wanted um familiarity and a sense of belonging to me, familiarity meaning I was halfway around the world, partying in the streets of called Lan Tui Fong or LKF. It's like the party district in Hong Kong, and I saw these people at this at this bar. It's called Al's Diner, and I was like, "What the heck? They sound like really fun." So I go walk in. I see purple. What is this party you guys are having? Oh, we're from Western. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, Western Alumni Association. I go in. Hey, I went to Western too. And then everyone's like, that familiarity was there. And that sense of belonging. So that's where I really took to the association, being part of Western Alumni. That kept me involved with the school, kept me updated, really, because I was away for so, like I was, you know, in Hong Kong. And I'm like, man, this reminds me of home, right? And my identity was Western at the time, but right? I loved it. And so that kept me really involved and, and committed and loyal. It became a great way to network and get to know people as I was living uh, abroad in Hong, Kong, in Hong Kong. And 
I've managed to be recognized to be uh, last year, uh, this year, sort of nominated to the the board of directors of Western Alumni, and now I'm board member, which I'm super happy about. I had a a, a, a call this morning as well too in Hong Kong um, to call before you about this was with the Western Board, and so it was great to to be involved with a whole group of really established people, but have that shared connection and that love for Western. Um, and so just giving back as well, what keeps me really in line is doing stuff like this, like this, you know, that's why I so appreciate Kasein, like you reaching out and asking me to do this. And um, yeah, like it drives me, motivates me, something new, it's a new experience and doing it. And hopefully the words that I say, the connections, people adding me on LinkedIn afterwards, a student, everyone watching this um, and hearing this, um, I'm more than happy to help because I was in your shoes before. Um, and yeah, that give back fills my bucket, man. <laughs> Good to hear that. There are like not too many people who give back or enjoy giving back. So I'm I'm so happy that you're here. Um, and congrats on being a board member. It's a very Thank big you. achievement. Thank I guess you. as we are approaching the end of this uh, episode, what's, you know, one advice I would give to current Western students or community members. Oh man, there's so much. I would say the first thing I would say is reach out and connect. I am, if anyone from Western student or, or alumni reaches out to me and, you know, just says, hey, I saw, you know, Voices of Western uh, or your podcast and, and, and whatnot, I'm more than happy to sort of talk to you. Like I will quickly message you back. Um, always doors open for anyone at Western. Um, so the advice is just whenever you need something, like ask, go get it. What's the worst that something, what's the worst that could happen? You receive no, and then you kind of go on and move on. So I'd say that's a piece of advice. It's like, if you want something, then make the plans to go and get it. Yeah, I can I can personally attest to Nathan's speed of replies. He definitely sticks to that maximum one day timeline. Um, <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for your time and sharing your wisdom with our Western students and community members. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening to this episode. Make sure to follow our Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and all of the other social accounts at humans underscore Western and humans of Western. And uh, don't forget to tune in next week. Thank you.